Hello, and welcome back to the Interlude Podcast, where I share the journeys and experiences of women who are living with cancer. Today, my guest is Brianna Wagner. Brianna was diagnosed with low-grade serous ovarian cancer at the age of 37. This is an extremely rare form of ovarian cancer. She talks about her experiences with the diagnosis, surgery, and chemotherapy, and then spends a lot of time focusing on the side effects that she experienced during chemotherapy and how she is now living her life and coping with these changes. She also discusses how other events in her life had framed her ability to cope and process the diagnosis of cancer. As a reminder, all conversations had on this podcast are not meant to serve as medical advice and any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Thank you again for listening and welcome, Brianna. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So can you start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and how your journey has been? Uh, My name is Brianna Wagner. Um, I'm 40 years old now, and I was diagnosed at 37. I have low-grade serous carcinoma, ovarian. It's an ovarian cancer. (laughs) Yes. So it's a very rare ovarian cancer. Yes. It's extremely rare. Um, Where I'm at, I'm the only patient at my cancer center. And um, what happened, how I found out that I had cancer was... I'll actually go a little bit before it because it kind of leads up to it. My son um, passed away in 2015 by suicide, um, and I got to a really, really dark place, and I was actually praying to get cancer or be in a car wreck or something so that I could be with my son. The way I actually found it was I, I I had symptoms leading up to it, but I just figured it was the grief over losing my son. And um, I was having a nice night with my friends, and, you know, we were drinking a little bit of wine and, you know, had a good night, and me and my husband went home and had sex. And it was very, very painful. Um, It was, like, before I would have sex with him, and I would get painful twinges, but... It always went away. This time, it actually like hurt really bad. I ended up going to the. I told my husband, "Listen, I need to go to the ER. This is this is bad." And I have a pretty high threshold for pain, so he knows that if I say it's bad, that that it's bad. So I get down to the ER and I walked in and basically I said, "My husband broke me." The doctors and you know the doctors and nurses got a laugh out of that because they actually both happened to be male. So when my husband did walk in later. They were all going, oh, my gosh, and like, oh, I see you broke your wife. So we were all laughing and joking around. Obviously, you know, I handle my pain in a different type of way because I try to make fun with it and try to joke around. Like, I jokes and stuff, that actually is my deflector. And we got the results back from the CAT scan and the CT and and so the doctor all of a sudden he had like a straight face and you could tell something I'm like oh god what's wrong so he sits down and he starts talking and I asked him if I could read the reports because I do have a a little bit of medical history not a whole lot but 
I understand some of the stuff that I'm reading. So I, I looked at it and I saw the scans and I was like, oh, no, I know it's bad. <laughs> so he was trying to explain it. Um, and he said that he, I needed to get into a gynecologist within two days. So I went to the gynecologist that he scheduled. He called on his phone. He called and scheduled the appointment for me. What did they tell you the CAT scan showed, or what did you read on that paper? It said that it appeared as ovarian cancer. I had um, a lot of free fluid, and I had a lot of um, calcifications and tumors. I guess it was all all filled up. (laughs) So what is going through your mind when you're there? Because that's not what you expected. I was like, huh, God works in funny ways. (laughs) Because this didn't come like right after when I was asking for it. It came about a year and a half later. And and that's when I realized I did want to be around because I have awesome family and friends. Like when you have a crisis, good people, it weeds out the good people. It weeds Mm -hmm. out the people in your life that need to be there and don't need to be there. So the... The doctor in the ER calls the gynecologic oncologist. Yes, he did. And so I went and saw her right away. My whole family went because my parents came up as soon as I told them what was going on. So my mom, dad, my husband, and me were, I had my own entourage, we mm-hmm. go to the gynecologist. <laughs> like, my dad went to the gynecologist with me. <laughs> and that's not likely. Um, he's a retired colonel. He's very, you know. It's not what he was expecting to be no. doing. And what happened at that appointment? I saw the gynecologist, and she sent me to see a gynecologist oncologist. Okay. Which led me to the cancer center that I met. And so when you met, you came, you know, you came to the cancer center, you met with the gynecologic oncologist, and what happened after that? Did they plan for surgery? They planned surgery right away. Um, I, I was in the ER August 13th. I had my surgery August 25th, and I started chemo three weeks after that. And I got my port put in in that last week. So that's a little bit of a whirlwind. Yes. And, you know, a lot of times patients who are going through cancer treatment, kind of it's go, go, go. It's biopsies, it's surgeries, it's chemotherapy, it's meeting with all these doctors. When do you have time to kind of stop and think about what is happening? It actually took a while. (laughs) I just went with the motions, and I was trying to have fun with it and stay positive because of my stepsons and everything else, like everyone else. Like, I was trying to stay strong for everybody else. And it didn't really hit me probably until, I want to say probably a few months ago when I got hospitalized for being suicidal. Um, Everything just kind of broke down then. Back to the gynecologist, or the gynecologist oncologist. So we, we planned the surgery, and to try to make it fun and goofy, because that's how I am, I started taking pictures of everything and recording my journey through my Facebook page. Um, I don't really understand Instagram all that well. I'm learning. Now I'm getting more into social media because I have been trying to spread more education about ovarian cancer. I got through chemo. Um, it was definitely rough. Um, I'm not going to say that it felt good. So I went in for my surgery. So he went in there and he took, he said he was going to try to save ovaries if he could, because me and my, you know, me and my husband, we weren't trying for a baby, but we would have been happy to have one Mm -hmm. because I had a miscarriage 
three months before my son died. And he ended up having to take everything out. And so when I did wake up, I'm like, is anything left? They're like, my husband was like, no. I was like, am I going to need chemo? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh. Can you talk about the, you know, when you have a massive surgery like this, they take your ovaries, your uterus, you automatically become menopausal. <laughs> and that with chemo heightens the effects of everything. So can you talk about your experience of that rapid transition to menopause and what it was like both physically as well as emotionally? Oh, God, it was awful. Um, <laughs> it's a good way to put it. It was horrible. Um, I'm not, I, I really can't sugarcoat it because it, it was pretty bad. It's still pretty bad. I basically lost, like, the person I was before. I'd already lost myself once, losing my son. Then I lost myself again with the cancer. Um, the hormones, let me tell you, they, they obviously do a lot in your body because when they're gone, it, mm -hmm. it wreaks havoc. Um, my, I had complications with my surgery. All that, that, that three weeks leading up to the chemo, I ended up back in the hospital because I had a bad infection. But I also, right after the surgery, I ended up coding. There was an internal bleed. So I also found somebody else that was going, she was towards the end of her journey. Her name was Ellie Mayday. And I actually went to Times Square, because like, last year she went to Times Square and she stood in the middle in um, teal, a teal bathing suit or underwear, lingerie. Mm -hmm. And stood out there holding a sign up for World Ovarian Cancer Day. And I thought that was fantastic. I was in Costa Rica with my husband because he was there for work. He won the trip through his work. So we went there, and I was there for Ovarian Cancer Awareness mm -hmm. Day last year. So I did a little talk of, like on it mm -hmm. and tried to explain what some of the symptoms were and that, you know, everyone needs to get checked out. And... My friend's sister-in-law got checked out because of me, and they found her in stage two. You know, the spreading awareness and talking about the symptoms you can see makes a difference. It does for me because mm -hmm. I feel like it's helping others. Yeah. And because there's not much control over what I have that's going on with my mm -hmm. body right now. So I can only control so much. So that actually takes my mind off of it a little bit. I know that sounds weird, but it does because I'm doing it for other people. <laughs> and no, I think that's really important, right? You could not control your diagnosis, but if you could, you know, ovarian cancer is called this, you know, it's one of those cancers that's detected very late because it doesn't mm -hmm. have symptoms and the symptoms of abdominal bloating and waking, it's very easy to attribute to, oh, I've been eating bad foods or I'm going through menopause. So you know, it's found late. So if you can help someone to get a diagnosis at an earlier stage, that would that's, be fantastic. That's the best thing that you can do. The earlier you can find it, the better. Exactly. And so after my surgery, I had, after the internal bleed, then I um, ended up with an infection from all the blood that was in my abdomen. And then I uh, had the surgery for my port, and that was when awry also, a complication with both surgeries. Because uh, I had the port surgery, and the palm of my hand went numb. It didn't hurt. It just felt weird. And they wouldn't let me leave the hospital until... It was no longer numb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I had my fair share of hospital stays, which I, I'm, I'm good with. And so then you did the chemotherapy. Yes. And talk about 
recovery after chemotherapy? What symptoms did you have when chemotherapy was done? Well, so going through chemotherapy, that was rough. Um, I didn't do a whole lot, but we did do a head shaving party before I lost all my hair. I think it's better for the kids to have fun and participate in, in it other rather than them all of a sudden seeing you bald one day. So we had a fun party out of it. How old were your stepsons during I, that time? During that time, they were 14. Okay. How did they take it? Yeah. They're, they they're boys. Took it in yeah. Stride. Mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're boys. They're triplets. And um, they're great kids. But their attention is uh, definitely on video games. <laughs> Which probably makes it easier in, yes. in that sense. So the head shaving party, chemotherapy, mm-hmm. side effects. Side effects. Um, I had pretty bad neuropathy. Um, it was in my hands and feet. Um, it's still there. And I have severe osteoporosis. So I have like the bones of like an 80-year-old, which is fantastic. And uh, a lot of joint pain. Oh, and the hot flashes. Oh, man, the hot flashes. Those were the worst. I had my first hot flash in the hospital after my infection, and I'm like, nurse, nurse, something's going on. I thought I was having a reaction to, like, medication or something. Mm -hmm. And it was my first hot flash. (laughs) Do they get better? They do get better over time. Um, I do still get hot flashes. I think that's because of my medication and letrozole, because those are the side effects of a lot of my medications are hot flashes, joint pain. Like, I don't know if any of them are supposed to be weight gain, but weight gains, I've actually done the opposite. A lot of people lose a lot Mm -hmm. of weight during chemo and stuff, and apparently I... Well, so the weight loss during chemo, a lot of people can lose weight if you're vomiting or nauseous or not eating much. But some of the the newer drugs we have for anti-nausea are so good that it's not the same as getting chemotherapy 20 years ago. You know, you used to be able to look at someone and know they were getting chemo, and that's not the well, case anymore. that's definitely anymore. better because I, I did still do things. I just felt very worn out, very tired. Like I was like a sloth. Mm-hmm. And what has helped you? after chemo and after this whole process to start getting out of that? To finally start feeling more like my new self, trying to accept it, which I'm still working on. I went to Mary's Place. Uh, My cancer center told me about it. What is Mary's Place? Mary's Place by the Sea is, it's, um, it's where you go to rejuvenate for like a day or like, you can go for one or two days. You can, um, I picked out the massage, but there's a few different things that you can pick out from. And you just are with other women that have cancer and do all different stages. Like at the point that I, that I was there, I was the most recent one that was in chemo because I was still bald. <laughs> but you could see where people's hair were growing back and met some really good people in there. The staff there was absolutely amazing. The food. Like, I didn't even realize I was eating all that healthy food because I've, I've always been, like, a little bit of a junk food addict. You know, during chemo, my comfort food is chocolate chip cookies, maintaining calories. <laughs> and that's fine. And, you know, 
kind of what I think is important is during chemo, you know, if you can eat healthy, that's okay, but your goal is calories. And then after chemo is done, then the, some of the dietary changes can happen. That's what I'm working on now. <laughs> and what are you doing to work I, on that? I uh, have been visiting the health food store um, near my house. It actually has, uh, her name is Dr. Danny, and she is a holistic doctor, but she is, she is an MD. She's a retired MD. And are there any products that you've tried from the health food store that you find are helpful or have helped with some of your symptoms that are not, you know, medications? Well, one of the best things I found actually from one of the girls in Mary's place um, is frankincense, Mm -hmm. the essential oil to rub it on your joints and and stuff when when they're hurt. And it actually does help you be a little more fluid. And then at the health food store, I found one that had frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh. It's made mm-hmm. for neuropathy. And how often do you do it? Just a few times throughout the day. I just put it on my hands and rub, you know, rub them in. And do you put it on if you're having knee pain? Would you put it on your knees? So it's anywhere where yes, you're having. You can put it anywhere where you're having pain. That's great. There's a lot of things like that that are helpful that we don't always talk that much about when you're mm-hmm. seeing the doctor. You've done some other really cool trips. Since yes. the diagnosis, can you talk about those? There's a program called First Descents. It, it's about you had to be diagnosed between the ages of 18 and uh, 39. They've actually just raised the age to 45. I, w- I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it because, uh, you know, I just turned 40. But I, obviously I couldn't do anything before. And kayaking was definitely hard. But I went on a whitewater kayaking adventure for a week. And it was amazing. I mean, you challenge yourself because you learn that the river is going to keep flowing no matter what. It's mm-hmm. going to keep going. It, it takes, it doesn't care of your race, your sex. Your, it doesn't care about any of that. It's just flowing. And so then you go in the kayak and you're in control of yourself. So you, you learn to manage those currents and rocks and it gives yourself a little bit of power back to yourself. It's a very apt metaphor for life, yes. right? Life is just yes. keeps going, and you can only control mm-hmm. so, so many things. I'm actually going to get a new tattoo because of that. And so what's the tattoo going to be? Um, on my ankle, I'm going to get Happy Turtle with – probably sitting in a kayak. Because like um, my nickname there was Happy Turtle because um, I had started the Happy Turtle mm-hmm. Foundation for my son. It's about bringing people out of their shell their favorite animal so my life from losing my son until the cancer diagnosis I was a turtle slowly coming back out of my shell and then now I'm like a sloth I'm just moving (laughs) and just going forward and doing what I need to do and and uh doing it at my pace um I've learned that I need to take time for myself and I think that's important to find what makes you feel good mm-hmm. and what brings you happiness. Let's talk a little bit about having a rare cancer and your how, you know, when, especially with ovarian cancer, you know, there's always a risk that these cancers were genetically inherited. Can you talk about your family history and how all that <laughs> plays into it? Well, that's a whole nother saga. Um, I was uh, born in North Carolina. I was adopted when I was almost four. Um, both my uh, 
my family is military. And so I moved around a lot as a kid. And when I turned 18, I got all the information that social services would give me about my adoption. So I had some information, but it was really hard. I searched off and on for years, kept running into dead ends. And then I started Ancestry.com. That became a big project also. I did the family history. I, me and my friend worked the web, we worked the web backwards from all my connections. Mm-hmm. And so we found a row where it had to be my mom my, or my dad. One of those siblings had to be one of my parents. I had a match for an aunt, which was my biological dad's sister. Wow. So I found my biological family. I found my biological mother two weeks later. And it was surreal. And what about your biological father? My biological father, we got we have a we have a pretty good relationship. We are so much alike. Like he looks like my son. Like that that's what my son would grow up to look like. What was it like? Did you go to meet him? I did on the uh three year anniversary of my son passing. I try to do something special every year on his angel anniversary. My special thing last year for it was going to meet, going to in Indiana to meet my biological family and my biological dad. I call him D2 for dad too. Um, so that's kind of stuck as his nickname. So I went to, I flew to Indiana by myself. <laughs> and so you're in the plane. I mean, what, what goes through your mind? Oh my God. Is he going to like me? Are they going to like me? Like this is, I'm, I, cause they set it up where I got to meet everybody. Uh, they actually had like, planned a big family reunion, so I got to meet all kinds of people. And it was amazing to talk to people that held me as a baby. And, you know, they're like, oh, my gosh, I held you as a, when you were this big. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it, it, it was very overwhelming, but it was a good overwhelming. Do you remember any of your childhood before you were adopted? Not particularly, No. Do you have the conversation about why you were adopted? Or do you, when you met him, was it just, okay, here we are? Um, a little bit of both. Because, mm-hmm. of course, I wanted to know why. Um, he didn't really have much control over his say in it. My mother, she, uh, my bio mom, she gave me up for adoption when I was almost four because she wasn't in a good place in her life. She was trying to make my life better. There was even a little note in my file when I was adopted like, mm-hmm. that I got from social services saying that that's, you know, that's why mm-hmm. she did it out of love. And I have uh, spoken with her on the phone. It's hard to talk to her because she's got trachea mm-hmm. from a big accident that mm-hmm. she had. I haven't met her yet in person because she can't travel. So that's going to be one of my trips that I'm going to be planning. I also have a sister. That's awesome. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And I also have a brother, but we haven't found him yet. I mean, it's amazing. And it's all because of Mm Ancestry.com. I mean, it really is just – so, you know, what's interesting is that when – parents give up children for adoption, you can have open adoptions or closed adoptions. And almost Ancestry.com kind of – takes that away in a sense. It does. But as an adoptee, I see, you know, I see both sides of it. Because when my son was little, I mean, we had a lot of, you know, a lot of things go on. My son was pediatric bipolar. I had to get him into counseling and stuff because he had outbursts at school. I would have black eyes and busted lips. 
I understand kind of both sides of it because mm-hmm. I can see where it could get to be overwhelming, especially if you're not in the right place. Mm-hmm. It could be overwhelming. So, but as an adoptee, I I think it's not right to keep that from the child. Mm-hmm. No, I think you deserve to know. You do where you come some from. people choose to not look, and mm-hmm. that's good for them. Mm-hmm. And some people want to know like where they came from. It's nice, you know. It's kind of cool to know your DNA. Like I would always do the family tree with my mm-hmm. with my dad. That was something that we did a lot of, and so I know all this history of my family, my adoptive family, because I call them my mom and dad because mm-hmm. they're my mom and dad. Yeah. Um, so. I have all this history of them, and it, it's okay. So I see all this really cool stuff. So but there were a lot of cool things that you learned from that. And I kind of wanted to know, well, what's mine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did so you, you know, meeting your biological family, and did that impact anything how you felt about the cancer diagnosis as well as your son's suicide? You know, was there any history that came out when you met your family that changed your perspective on things? There was um, my grandmother, biological mm-hmm. grandmother. She she took her life. Both my aunts have had breast cancer. They've had different kinds of breast cancer, and um, I don't know. I, I think they were both relatively. They weren't common ones. Mm-hmm. So apparently, rare stuff goes along in my family, and I I just get I see where I get my personality from because mm-hmm. like me and my aunt. We both are mini hoarders, uh, both artistic, like crafty, mm-hmm. and which that's one of the blows that I took because I, I used to be really crafty, and with my hands, it's really hard to do some mm-hmm. of the smaller things. Like I was trying to beat something the other day, and I just can't grip it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other things to do. I'm always trying to think of new things to do. I. Because of LA May Day, I actually stood in Times Square this year uh, in the middle of Times Square in a teal bikini, and I held a sign up for World of Bearing Cancer Day. And while I was there, I actually got interviewed by somebody that has a podcast but with video. And being diagnosed with a rare cancer, you know, we don't know much about it, and we don't have a lot of great treatments for it. How do you live with knowing about the rare cancer and do you fear it coming back and kind of how do you process and think about that? Well, I look at everything realistically also. Like I know that my time may be limited, so I'm trying to do as much as I can because I want to get stuff marked off my bucket list because, you know, I do have a rather long bucket list. Um, some of the stuff I probably won't be able to do because just physically, I don't know that I can. Like, I don't think I'll ever get to base camp at Everest. You know? I still do want to try to um, hike the uh, Appalachian Trail. Okay. I want to try to do a through hike. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's intense. Yes. I either want to do it by myself or with, like, one other person just mm-hmm. because I want to be able to go at my own pace. I want to be able to stop and take pictures. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy the the. I, I, tra- I try to take time to enjoy every experience that I'm having now and actually fully enjoy it. So I, I just try to take everything in as much as I can because my memory is going also, and that sucks. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
my memory, I don't know. There's a thing called grief brain. There's a thing called chemo brain. Uh, I don't know if it's a combination of all of them, but I will have conversations in mid-conversation. I'm like, literally, I'll have no clue what I was talking about. And it's really embarrassing because at my age, you're not supposed to mm-hmm. be like that. Like my husband can tell me something, and then like 10 minutes later, I'll, I'll totally forget. I've always been, I, I have ADD also, and uh, but I've always managed it pretty well without medication. I had to go back on medication for that. And I don't know if we're at the right dosage yet or not because it's still relatively new that, mm-hmm. you know, it's only been a month. And it helps some, but it still doesn't help the memory lapse. It doesn't help just because I'll forget what I'm doing. Like I'll go into a room to get something and then I'll go into the room and I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't even know why I'm in here. <laughs> so a lot of people experience this. Do you have any advice for people or tips that you've kind of, you know, developed to work around it, right? You're in a room of people and you can't remember what you were going to say. I laugh that off. <laughs> and so people that know me, they'll, if they see me do that, then they'll start kind of repeating what they're, cause they, cause they know me. So they know how my brain, brain works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, but I found that I have to put stuff on my calendar right away. I can't wait to do it. I have to do it right then and there. I will, I don't, care if someone's staring at me if I'm standing there too long because I have to put it in there right away. Otherwise, I'll forget to. Um, I have to give myself extra time in the mornings to get ready because I'm very slow moving. The mornings are really bad. Uh, it's kind of like almost I have to like un, 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 unwind myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you were waking up probably pretty stiff. Yeah, oh, very stiff. And so I kind of have to go, okay, my feet here. I have to wait till I'm like, you know feeling my feet good and get up because otherwise I'll stumble. Um, I do a lot of stumbling because my knees give out and uh, my hips. (laughs) So um, my biggest advice for that is to use a calendar. If it's not in there, it didn't happen. That's true. (laughs) Writing writing everything down helps. Uh, So just to wrap up, any advice besides writing everything Mm -hmm. down that you would give to someone Going through any cancer diagnosis, you know, what did you learn from this or what surprised you that you weren't expecting would happen? You find out who your real friends are because there will be times when you thought that you would never have something to do, so- <laughs> do something to help you and they'll do it. Like I, after my surgery, I, I couldn't wipe myself. <laughs> so mm-hmm. one of my best friends helped me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We became very close. Um, you find out who your true friends are. There's a lot of awesome people out there. Try to make it more of a fun experience. Just be like it's one of the hills, like it's one of the hills in the roller coaster of your life. So make the best out of it. You know, I I dressed up for all my chemos. Mm-hmm. I had a different theme each week. You know, my chemo nurses were awesome. Uh, one of my friends did. Uh, chemo pouches and I actually got to because it was around Christmas time I got to dress as an elf and I got to hand those out that was fun but try to do something that's going to make you feel good try to make have fun with it it's not the end of the world 
you know, you still do have some time because you never know. I mean, you can step out, get mm-hmm. hit by a car. Yeah. I don't know. You're just basically, like, I feel like I have an expiration date. Like, I, I don't know if I should, like, do a tattoo with my expiration date or something, but there is no definite date for that. Mm-hmm. You don't know. There's one person in my online support group that it, it's been 30 years since she's had mm-hmm. any any recurrence. I um, I would say find, find some good support groups, but limit your time in there because, you know, you're seeing the worst of some things also with some people. I've noticed that people have been trying to post more positive posts to try to, you know, help people because I think that helps seeing that there are those unicorns because mm-hmm. we call somebody that's had it, like, we call her a unicorn. And so I, I wear a lot of unicorn stuff now because I'm determined to be a unicorn. <laughs> So, yeah, just try to just enjoy the good – there's going to be a lot of bad moments. Enjoy the good moments. I think that's really important. The two things, one, certainly the support groups are wonderful, but it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole Mm of – Oh, God. Oh, my God. Recurrence and fear and, you know, there's – sometimes the cancer is going to come back whether or not we can – Well, you see, like – the majority of the people in the group that have my cancer go kind of their their stories are all different, mm-hmm. but they kind of go down similar paths. Like I know it, if it were to come back, it's probably going to be my colon or my stomach, possibly my bladder. <laughs> so you see that like the majority of people are going, whether some people are fewer years apart, mm-hmm. some of them are further apart. But they're going down similar paths. So it's good to know what you're going down because you can talk to the people that are ahead of you for tips that they wish that they had had known. So it's good to see and it's good to be there for people that are just starting. And last question, because of the risk of recurrence and because of the, the rarity of the cancer, when you have a symptom that is just a urinary tract infection or you pulled muscle, does your brain automatically go to this could be cancer? It does, and I quickly try to shut that down. It's hard to shut down because that is where your brain goes. But then I sit there and, you know, I always have, I have a lot of UTIs. I'm very prone to those, so that's what it is, you know. But you're always in the back thinking, like, is it something because of the surgery? Because I did never thought that at 40 years old I'd be mm-hmm. wearing bladder pads. <laughs> Anything else that you want to share with the listeners? Stroll along like a little turtle or a little sloth and uh, have fun with life. I mean, there's so many good points to life, it, It's and you have to look forward to those. Like my dad said, okay, you need to focus on what you have to do today to get to that goal. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, moment by moment. You know, you mm-hmm. go day by day mm-hmm. or week by week. So, you know, sometimes it's moment by moment or minute by minute because when you're in there, you, you you're like, oh, my God, this is awful. This is the end. I just want to go away now. Like, You have to pull yourself out of that because mm-hmm. it is just a moment, just like you have good moments. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the good moments. Make the best out of them. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again for listening to my conversation with Brianna. I am continually inspired by her ability to stay so positive after having been through so much. And I think that is such an amazing way to approach life every day, taking it one step at a time, seeing the best, and finding joy. 
I hope that you enjoyed today's episode and continue to tune in every week to listen to more incredible stories of powerful and strong women who are dealing with this on an everyday basis. As a reminder, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Dr. Toplinsky for more podcast news and cancer news and updates. Have a great weekend and I will see you all next week.